time to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine, but there will be smiles and there will be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 800 years. It's time for death by video. Death by video! Yay! 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 And as we come to the final episode of our Albert Pune series, hey. not the last Albert Pune movie we'll be ever be watching, but just for this round. That was where the A belonged. Yes. Um, uh, I'm Graham. I'm Phil. I am Kit. And I'm Lil. And we are back with our final film, the Albert Pune series. We are. This is actually his second feature film ever made. Uh, his first was The Sword and the Sorcerer. This is his follow-up, Radioactive Dreams. So there's not too much trivia to talk about this film. 1985, right? Hmm? 1985? Yeah, 1985. Um, she knows her stuff. Um, before we get into it, I will um, just go through a little trivia. There's not 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 too much at all. Uh, the names of these two main characters are homages to noir detective fiction icons Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler, and Mike Hammer. Um, it stars John Stockwell, who we last saw in Dangerously Close, and Michael Dudikoff. Now, Michael Dudikoff was the star of the American Ninja series and was tapped to play Spider-Man in the aborted canon films Spider-Man film from 1980, from the 1980s that Albert Pune was supposed to, to direct. Um, the film also features George Kennedy from Cool Hand Luke and the Naked Gun series, amongst many, many other films. Uh, the female lead of the film is Miles Archer. Uh, she, oh, sorry. Yes, Miles Archer is the character name. She is played by Lisa Blount. Um, so she is known for John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, uh, Ruggiero Diodato's Cut and Run, and she won the Oscar for Best Short Film for producing the short film The Accountant in 2001. Unfortunately, she passed away from natural causes in 2010, uh, so she's no longer with us. Um, also, interestingly, this film actually marks the debut of the name Brick Bardo in Albert Pume's film series, which was the name of our 13-inch cop in Dollman. So that's about all I have uh, background. Um, so before we get to our main feature, has anyone seen anything good since we last recorded? Uh, not really. I saw the original Blob, which I found rather disappointing. Um, watched uh, the Palm Door winner, The Square, which mm -hmm. I had mixed feelings about. Which kids, huh? Yeah, what'd you think of that? I had mixed feelings about it. Same. Mm. Yeah, parts of it are good though, right? I actually think, parts I actually, of it are good. But I actually don't think it's bad to have mixed feelings about something. I think that kind of makes it a bit better that you like are kind of like I don't know how to feel about. Got to chew on it. Yeah, it's, you it's too on long. It. If he'd cut it down, it like long, about forty yeah. minutes, then the whole thing might have been tighter and better. But that's all European films, so they're all like forty minutes longer than they should be. 
Yeah, like that movie Tony Erdman. That was like maybe an hour too long. Yeah, wasn't that like three hours or it was something? Almost three hours. Yeah. but there's no reason why it should have been more than two. Yeah, no reason for like a light comedy to be more than two hours long. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't. Is it's, is it a light comedy? Or is it, it, it's it, a comedy. It's, it is. It is a comedy. It's heavily farcical. It's you know, like it deals with mm-hmm. globalization and then, yeah. And there's just like a lot of farcical situations and it's just yeah, long running gags, kind of like gags run even longer than what you see mm-hmm. in the square. Yep. And uh, Phil, you also said that the blob before um, the uh, before Kit and Lil showed up. That it had a bit of a, uh, it kind of predicted global warming to a small degree? Yes, at the very end of the movie when the blob gets moved to the Arctic. It's like, are we safe from the blob? Yes, as long as the Arctic stays cold. And then like it pans out and then there's like a big question mark. Yeah. (laughs) Missed the question mark at the end of films. Mm-hmm. The end <laughs> for now. Um, yeah. So obviously, if this if the blob was reality, we would all be toast. And it's also not a feature movie, but I did mm-hmm. like it. It's of course it's getting a lot of it's been getting a lot of hate for ages. Uh, I watched the problem with Apu. Oh, the short doc. Oh, interested yeah. in that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They uh they did a little response, which has not been no. well received. No. no. Um, well, the interesting thing is there was a meme they, going they around. They bastardized the character of Lisa, from what I understand. I didn't watch. I haven't I, watched the new episode yeah. of The Simpsons in years. The, the whole thing is like the interesting thing is I because I heard about this documentary a while ago and I brought it up at work and everyone's like, "No, that's not true. Apu's not racist." And I'm like, "No, he's totally racist." And oh, the thing for sure is, he is. And here's the thing: we can admit that like when that character was made, it was acceptable to have that kind of caricature, and that's fine to say that it's not right, but we all accepted it. The thing is now to like acknowledge it and still because like uh, the Warner Brothers, uh, their cartoon sets, they always put up a disclaimer before their Looney Tunes sets where it's like, listen, these uh, cartoons contain certain characters and portrayals that are considered racist and uh, and uh, what's the term xenophobic today. That doesn't, uh, but they were true to the the norms of the time. They were they're not right now or at their time. However, if we simply cut these out or don't acknowledge them, that's us saying it doesn't exist. So therefore, these are presented intact for their historical accuracy to what they were initially released at. But that being said, we understand that the the caricature, the characters, and the portrayals are in fact racist. But um, that was of the time. And it's not of the time now. However, we're acknowledging that. So they kind of they Warner Brothers has a bit more of a better way of examining that. But I felt that with Apu and The Simpsons, they basically kind of said because um, I read a long re- review about that that episode. And from what I understand is that they basically sort of said, "Sorry, not sorry." Yeah, they basically had Lisa saying, "Oh well, this was fine when it first came out." Um, I, there's like a direct quote yeah. where she's like, "Because they're they're using some other thing to, mm-hmm. to represent it, the conflict." Yeah. But uh, Lisa says something like, um, "Yeah, when I mean, it, first it, was, came it, was, out, it was okay. It was, it was critically now. acclaimed and and beloved mm-hmm. when it first came out, so it shouldn't be a big deal now." Yeah, yeah. So um, I haven't seen that documentary, but I am. I saw the original uh, short on I forget which episode, which comedy show it was, where the director did his first rant about Apu from The Simpsons, and I was like, "Yeah," and that's the thing. It's like Apu. But it comes. It comes yeah. from a fan. Yeah, like, he's, a fan, the, the he's a fan of yeah. The Simpsons. Exactly, and he was just sort of saying like, "I always had this." So he himself is Southeast Asian uh, or of Indian descent, and he. It's always the, he said he's like, I can't wrap my head around how a show that is as ethnically diverse and multicultural 
still has this big sore spot in it around Apu. Um, yeah, and he's you know, he's talks to um, various Indian American Calpens. Calpens, yeah, right. he's he's like, like, hates the Simpsons. Hates I hate the Simpsons. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it's like, really? You hate the Simpsons? Yeah, I hate the Simpsons be because of Apu and yeah. I like how Penn had this anecdote or this dude, this dude approached him because of you. I get called Kumar, and Cal <laughs> Penn's rebuttal is, "This is better than Apu." He goes, "You know what? You're right. Yeah, it is better than Apu." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting topic and. I'm glad it's being discussed. Um, Kit, what have you seen in the last uh, week or so since we recorded? And by the way, I apologize. I have yet to get our last episode up on Dollman. The week got surprisingly busy for me. It will be going up over the weekend, even though well, our listeners are saying this now. now so I know. when our listeners are listening to this, it'll already be up. So yeah, I don't even know up. why you're bringing yeah, yeah, it up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm trying to keep to a <laughs> weekly schedule, but it's like seven to ten days. Is so, my kind sorry of like, about the delay. Of course, the episode he's referencing is, is now up, up yeah. and you've, you've enjoyed it and listened to it. Yeah, and it won't become one of our lost episodes. No. No, it can't. So, Kit, what have you seen? I uh, didn't see much, uh, mm-hmm. though last night I did see Ready Player One. And? Wait, in the theater? Yeah. So what did you think of Ready Player One? What I thought about Ready Player One. Um, I liked it better than I thought I would. That's what I'm hearing from a lot I'll of people. Put it, I'll yeah. put it that way. Uh, I mean, just as a, a product of something that I watched for two hours and 15 minutes, which is a little long. It's a lot long for a video game movie, yeah. Um, it is more like a theme park ride than a movie. Um, mm-hmm. In a larger sense, I don't know, like, I'd, I'd be interested in reading uh, criticisms of this of this movie, both good and bad. Um, because it is, it's like, it, it becomes nostalgia becomes the main product. And yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's just the movie is just nonstop references. Mm-hmm. They they go into the movie The Shining at I know, one I've point heard of in that. this film. Yeah. Um, and references are neat. They trigger little responses in my brain that are mm-hmm. like, oh, I know that. Yeah. And oh, I get that reference. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even like the Minority Report thing. You know, like how they, yeah, uh, the the little kind of invisible uh, screens that they mm-hmm. touch and stuff. That's that's referenced in it. I mean, it's got a great cast mark rylance is really good um simon pegg's up in this oh really simon uh, pegg's in it yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. um so i mean be. it's enjoyable as a theme park ride it's it's fun mm-hmm. um i don't know how i feel about it more broadly i haven't really had chance to process it but the main thing is this was my first time enjoying it in a vip cinema Oh, we went to those. Oh, AKA, gosh. AKA Discount Alamo Draft House. I don't know if I can go back to, to the other way, boys. I they don't brought know you if food I can do to it. your seat? They brought me food to my seat. They were nice luxury, like, I think it was faux leather, but yeah. really nice recliner seats. So I had a little table there where I could put my phone and shit. Um, it was special. Yeah, I don't yeah. like that. Yeah, you're not a fan of this. No, no, I'm, I'm a fan of, like, people bringing you food. Like, so I went to the Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn where they kind of do that. But it's still, like, there's no... Rec- I hate reclining. I don't want to, like, feel like I'm in my living room. I want to feel that I am in a cinema watching a movie with other patrons, not, I, like... I felt both of those things, though. And okay. also, there's going to be no teenagers in there, so that's a plus. Yeah, I hate... Well, I, I like <laughs> there being teenagers, though, because, like, I heard someone saying, like, oh, nah, I, don't, I don't like going out to see movies because there's teenagers there, and that just makes me feel old. And I'm like... No, it's not that I feel old. It's just that teenagers mm-hmm. are obnoxious. I was an obnoxious teenager. I mean... I bet you were. I wasn't actually that bad, but... I'm sure teenagers none of us are, are obnoxious. Yep. Okay. Old people are worse. Yes. Oh, yes, they are because they actually talk back more to the screen than teenagers do. Oh yeah. They're like. Do they? I oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh, who's that? What 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 just happened? Now, why did oh, they you're right. do like old, that? Old people, yes. But the best is like when they're just like, but not even old old people, like baby boomers that are like in their fifties or sixties. Like, yeah, for sure. Now, well, why baby did boomers that suck happen? In general. Yeah, I know. But like the best I've heard in a movie was like I was sitting watching, what was it? Uh, oh my god, one of my favorite films from two years ago, modern day western. Uh, starring Chris Pine and Ben Foster. Oh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. And this person sitting like four rows down from me who was... I went during the day and it was a lot of gray hairs in the audience. And they just said, Now why did he do that? Just blatantly out loud during a quiet moment. As like a character is like thinking about what... Yeah. Just like out loud... And I kind of figured they were, like, waiting for someone to respond. I wanted to hear them next day after that. Like, Seriously, guys, fill me in. Anyways, old people suck. Um, what else I, have you I, seen? Well, I remember when uh, my mother always tells me this. We went to go see mm-hmm. Willow in theaters. Um, yeah. And at the point where uh, Madman Mardigan or whatever, the, the Val Kilmer character. Yeah. He's in a cage. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking about freeing him. And then they finally, dec- Willow decides to free him. And mm-hmm. at a quiet moment, I just yelled out my tiny little boy voice. I'm like, don't do it! The entire theater laughed. <laughs> see, but that's that's different, though. That's yeah. that's not... that's that's When I went to go see The Strangers Pray at night, like, I heard some people say, hey, don't go in there. And you're like, yes, that's what you want to hear. That's the right thing. Not someone being like, now why did he do that? And like... Or like, what's going on? Yeah. I don't understand. That's that guy that was in something else I saw. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that when I would see Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I mean, I oh, guess no. that makes sense because it was a Wasn't he in the Batman movies? The new ones, not the old ones. What's Commissioner Gordon doing in this one? Where'd his mustache go? Um. So, yeah. Is that Mr. Darcy? All right, that's it. I'm not going to the movies with you guys anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. You should come to the movies. By the way, you should come tomorrow night to get crazy at the Royal. They're literally making fun of me right now. No, no, no. You don't You don't act like that. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. What else have you seen, Kit? Uh, that was it. All right. I know. It's been, a, it's been a slow movie period for all of us. Lillian, what have you yeah, seen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally drawing a blank. I'm, like, really trying to grab it but i can't i can't i can't uh i can't recall i don't think i've watched uh much of anything since we were last here i really like dollman <laughs> yeah dollman was really good um by the way i'll get i'll get to it afterwards um actually maybe it should have been at the very front we should say that we got a very special message from mr a friend albert of the Pune. show friend of the show friend of the show albert Pune himself said that he listened to our episode on cyborg we, th- we think it's Albert Pune. We think... I, I've, I'm pretty 99. Did, did I, you check out the account? I did, and I checked out his Facebook account, which isn't also, like, an official whatever I mean, yet. Just, he just started that uh, Twitter mm-hmm. account, like, I think, this, within the year. And yeah. it was mainly to promote the film that he's struggling Civil to finish. War, yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't, I think that that actually is him. And that was... That was definitely, like, a high point of this podcast, like, seeing that Albert Pune listened to our episode and appreciated it. And... Um, yeah, so thank you again for from the bottom of our hearts for listening. Hopefully you listen to our other ones. Um, maybe um, I'm going to try and reach out to you to see if we can possibly do an interview in the future. Um, oh, we'd love to. Yeah, yeah. it'd be great. Um, even if it's through email, but we'll, we'll go through that later. Um, so yeah, so the only film I have seen in the last week since we recorded was a French film from, I think, 2006, 2007 called Frontiers with the S in parentheses. And it's... Um, set in not like a not too distant future but it's just sort of like if they're like a a future election in france where an extreme right-wing president gets elected the leader of uh, leadership of france and paris is rocked by like riots and so four arab uh, 
I don't want to say youths, but they were like in their 20s or something are essentially decide like, okay, let's take advantage of this chaos. They're not the best of people. So they like, they rob a bank and then they decide to like split while this riot's going on in the background. Because A, they're already being targeted because they're of a minority. Um, Although they don't really, they're not, they're like, they're Arab and like the problem with depictions of Arabs or Muslims in any Western uh, entertainment is that it's always someone who very blatantly screams, I'm an Arab or I'm, uh, or I'm Muslim. Whereas like these are all people that like I didn't really get who they were at first until they actually said like oh we can't eat pork because we're muslim they didn't wear turbans they didn't do anything like that and at a certain point so these four people are escaping and they go to this motel in the outskirts of uh of the french countryside that's like isolated and alone and it turns out that this motel is actually run by they're called neo-nazis on the back of the box over it turns out that they're actually the, de- the descendants of french nazi sympathizers that are, that hit out there after world war ii and there's one old man still alive and things get very very bad and very very bleak and it's considered an example of the new french extremity uh, movement that happened in the um the aughts or the but the back half of the aughts um it's it's gruesome it's bleak and i had to laugh because just before i watched it a friend of mine said i really like european cinema because it's not violent and i'm like "Eh, maybe the movies you're watching like european cinema tends to be the most gruesome of it all um so if you see come across a movie called irreversible irreversible yeah maybe Maybe don't watch it or martyrs or maybe don't anything by michael haneke or maybe just don't (laughs) make a blank blanket statement about uh, about you know french and european cinema um, it was really, really good, and it's like the interesting thing about all these French New Extremity films that I've I've seen is that they all tend to have more loaded to them. So, like with this, it was clearly a representation or a a callback to the actual riots that happened in in the suburbs of Paris between uh, the Arab uh, immigrants and Muslim immigrants and the you know I don't want to say traditional French, but the the French, the white French originals, or in, I don't know what the term is. Um, and that kind of like the the movie, through its extreme uses of violence and extreme depictions of, you know, Nazism and the alternative and like the modern uh, Arab population of France. And these people are like French born in France, parents were born in France. That's just how they are. Um, shows that there is this the the one thing the director said is that he wanted to show that there are these little pockets of extremity that we kind of overlook in our society because we're like okay they're out of sight they're out of mind we don't think about it but they're there they're growing and they're getting more and more angry and that's eerily what's happening in north america now with that whole situation in charlottesville and you know even within canada itself with like uh you know we've experienced like a few rashes of racism in toronto um yes kit no, don't go there. No, but like with regards to France, mm-hmm. like the Front National has yeah. gotten more popular. Mm-hmm. So now we are talk. We are going into radioactive dreams. Does anyone else anyone else have anything to say before we get into radioactive dreams? Uh, it's Friday the thirteenth today. Not when you're listening yes. to it. Happy Friday the thirteenth. Happy Friday the thirteenth. Though when we're recording. Everybody. Yes. Cheers. We have done two Friday, Friday the thirteenth films on our on our podcast. We'll do more. I'm sure. We'll oh, get yeah. back into the well. Yeah, we might do a whole Friday the 13th series. Are we going to do any Saturday the 14th movies? I was thinking about that, too. That's that's tomorrow, <laughs> Saturday the 14th. They made two of them. Or Thursday the 12th. Yeah. I, oh, that, that would be a good one. Saturday the 
15th. Wednesday the 11th. Monday the 16th. That's just getting too derivative now. It's just sort of like, what is this even in reference to? Oh, Friday the 13th. All right, so with all that being said, oh, well, this is one of our quickest intros in a long time since we only had three hosts on this podcast. Oh, we're, we're getting um, smarter and tighter. Smarter and tighter and worser. Um, anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. We're not getting worse. We're getting better. Uh, so we will be right back uh, with our takes on radioactive dreams. Jahre ist es her, seit es im 20. Jahrhundert mal wieder so richtig geknallt hat. Glaubst du, die Welt hat sich sehr verändert? Verändert? Nein! Und es wird Zeit aufzutauchen, ein wenig frische Luft zu schnappen, etwas Staub einzuatmen und nette Leute kennenzulernen. Radioactive Dreams. Der Kinohit mit der absoluten Starbesetzung. John Stockwell. Der Star aus John Carpenters Film Christine. Michael Dudikoff. Weltberühmt seit American Fighter. Lisa Blount. Oscar Reif seit An Officer and Gentleman. George Kennedy. Der Haudegen aus der Airport-Serie. Don Murray. Bekannt seit dem Planet der Affen und Becky Sue hat geheiratet. Michelle Little, der Traumfrau aus Halloween 3. Radioactive Dream. versäumen dürfen, denn nach Haus und Atomic Hero, die Sieger der Vorjahre 85 und 86, hat es auch Radioactive Dreams geschafft. Der Hattrick ist perfekt. Auch 1987, Platz Nummer 1 beim Festival des Fantastischen Films, für unsere Februar-Neuheit, Radioactive Dreams. Cool, and we are back, and that was Radioactive Dreams. Now, before we get going... I'm gonna. Well, this might not be as long an episode as our last couple because it is midnight. We started this podcast extra late, Kit, and we do it for you, listeners. We do, we do, we do, we do. Um, I just want to say I had a smile on my face the entire time watching this movie. Like it's the, my second time seeing it, uh, and I saw it just long enough ago that I forgot a lot of the major plot points, which was great. So it was really good to hang out with Philip and Marlo as they on their very first day very first eventful day in the post-nuclear world. It does not take them long to become disillusioned. I know, like, it's like, man, it's been so long. Wait, <laughs> that like, was a couple hours ago. To, we used to be young and carefree, and now we're jaded and now like it's you. 4 p.m., yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they realize their mission quite quickly, too, at the same time. Don't they? Yeah. Quickly enough, I mean, yeah. it is a bit of fish out of water to begin with. They're just, um... Yeah, I guess we'll start start how the uh, the plot starts. Well, yeah, the plot starts. It's a uh, four by three image, kind of black and white. We start off in the the the, the near future for when the film was made, which is nineteen eighty six. Yeah, April uh, Fool's Day, nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. And so we see two kids kind of playing outside while George Kennedy and another man are um, hiding out. Are like gathering stock. Like they're like, we got enough food here for oh no, like twenty years. That's yeah. basically it, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we hear, we hear and see a bright flash in the sky. George Kennedy and the guy grab the kids, and then they are hauled into this bunker. Uh, there's some title cards to explain. Um, yeah. Basically, the nuclear war broke out in 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they used all the nukes except one. Except one. one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in order to activate those nukes. There's a couple of keys. That have gone missing a while ago. And everyone's in search of those keys. And inexplicably, mm-hmm. the, the title cards, the keys are written in all caps. Because they want the audience to really... Because you remember back in the 80s, like, that's, you know, people didn't really see movies with subtitles. So, like, if you were showing text, you had to capitalize the important stuff. That's why, fun fact, that's why all the words in the Star Wars title crawls are in all caps. <laughs> They're like, that'll get people's attention. They're not, but you believe me for a second there, didn't you? Well, yes, I did. I mean... It's actually not in all caps. Oh, you son of a bitch. But some of it is in caps, yes. though, correct? Like the names, like Skywalker all the, all the names, and stuff, Skywalker, yeah. Galaxy Far, Imperial, Far Away. Death Star, all that stuff is in capitals because, again, you want people to be like, oh, that's important. Keys are important. And they do become important in this film. So so why were you fucking with us there? Why'd you have to curse, man? <laughs> now I have to go get the bleep and edit that out. Oh my god. So Yeah, you can just use that for to bleep out the uh <laughs> No, I can't use that to bleep out. I'm sorry, I'm having some bowel troubles no, tonight. <laughs> no, we have a uh a, a leftover fart machine. <laughs> oh he's not finished. <laughs> I like that one. It's got a little end bit that's kinda like a a, a signature at the end of a of a of a letter. Like <laughs> I had a burrito earlier. What's the one that sounds like, <laughs> like a question? A question mark one. Where is it? Where is it? I know which one it is. I know which one. Sorry. Our listeners don't care about a fart machine that we that someone found in my apartment slash video store. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I'm not really sure this is happening, but it's slipping out. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, it's no, late, folks. It's it. late. Are you sure? The rest of the podcast is just gonna just gonna be us playing fart noises. That was still kind of like contemplative, like testing the waters. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like I'm gonna give this one a chance, and hopefully things don't end up horrible. Um. Anyways, back to Radioactive Dreams, the movie we're here to talk about. I have to hide this There's now. There's some protest here. I just hit one randomly to see what sound would come out. Just randomly. That was the. That, that was, was this one. Uh, that's, that's the one where an accident might have happened. <laughs> yeah, you need a fresh change of we, we, need to, we need to leave this party early. Yep. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Someone hit up the old Taco Bell beforehand. <laughs> um, go, go. So anyways, we are we come back 15 years sorry, later. listeners. We come back 15 years later on April the 1st, 2001. And the world is a wasteland, and our two as it young, was as on a, April the first, two thousand one. That was accurate. Oh yeah, that was my last year of high school. It was pretty shitty. Um, yeah, it basically looked like Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we we meet up with our characters Marlo and Philip, and they have found a passageway to get to the doorway to lead them outside. So these are the two little kids from the opening scene. I think we should stress about it, until this point, and yes. still, it the film looks terrible. And yeah, you yeah. assured me that this was uh, by design, mm-hmm. and I guess it was. It's a stylistic it, it, choice, yeah. But it, it looks like, it looks, I don't know, how would you describe it? It looks washed out, black and white, desaturated, and like certain, like almost like a, kind of like a gray, not a gray scale, like a, like a weird muted blue scale to a degree with, with like harsh whites. Um, 
And this is done to separate. It's kind of like a, a Wizard of Oz thing where it's like, oh, the film's in black and white, and then bam, it's in Technicolor. So, so Philip and Marlowe, they wind up getting a shower, getting a haircut, and all of their clothes and their they, culture. They read a barber manual. They read a barber manual. All their clothes and culture comes from the 1930s and 40s. So it's all like private detective novels. Like they they throw around the term private dick quite a bit. They, they sound like uh, characters from the movie Brick, basically. Yeah, they talk about dames and. You know, and uh, kissers. Games and, and dolls and... And, yeah, all that stuff. And uh, working a case and all that stuff. Um, and so... Slick dicks. Yeah, we're That's slick dicks. Yeah, which obviously means something else now. Um, but uh, so then they get into their, their dad's car. And the thing is, they're, the two men from the opening scene have disappeared. And they, we kind of learned through dialogue that they that their dad's kind of left them at a certain point. Um, anyways, so they assume that their fathers must have died, otherwise they wouldn't have returned. Well, they're divided, right? Um, Phil thinks he's kind of put a cross on them and says, yeah, they just, you know, they're probably dead and, you know, abandoned us. And, and they might not even be our dads, they're just two creeps that snatched us. Yeah, and whereas Marlo has all these, like, high hopes, no, no, you know, what, what if something happens? we got to find down. He was all hopeful. Yeah, he, he's the more, like, so Marlo is played by Michael Dudikoff, and uh, Phil is played by uh, John Stockwell from Dangerously Close. Who played, uh, what was his character in Dangerously Close again? It was, um... Oh, Randy? Randy, that's that's correct. Randy Mc, McDevitt. Mm-hmm. The bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy. And he played, uh, he was in My Science Project and Christine. Um, and so they're sitting in the car, they fire it up, they open up their doors to leave for the first time. They're hit with a blinding light, and all of a sudden, bam, we're in color. We see the outside world, which is looks like a, you know, essentially a vast waste, like desert wasteland of like no life, no plant life, no animal life. And they take Lillian, off. Lillian described it as the um, the cover for Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Houses of the Holy, except without the naked children, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they drive out to meet their destiny. Take it from there, guys. Uh, there's a bunch of muties. Well, no. First of all, someone the first the mutants. Oh. Products of the radioactive blast. You can tell Lizardy. by the the boils on their skin and yeah. stuff like that. And their white, chalky skin. So they, um... So first, the first thing that happens is a woman runs in front of them and they stop the car. And this is our introduction to Miles Archer, played by Lisa Blount, as we discussed in the opening of the podcast. And she... I'm not sure what Miles is a reference to, but Archer, I think, is derived from Lou Archer, which is like the Ross McDonald protagonist. Because okay. all the characters are like... Are named after a... A character, like like either how- a character or an author, because I think there's like Spillane as well. Does that have anything to do mm-hmm. with the, the cartoon Archer? Is that the same derivative? I don't think I don't so. Think so no. No. Okay. And well, Dash Hammer, who owns the keys that they're all looking for, all that's the names obviously in this movie a reference awesome. to Mike Hammer. Yeah, they're I all like awesome. Dashiell Hammett and Dash Hammett. Yeah. Which character was that in the movie? I don't think there was a, a character by that name. That was just the name that was on the um, someone as Dash Hammer. That might have been. Was that the the hi- evil hippie? Could have been, Could've or been. maybe one of the older guys. Yeah, probably one, of the, the probably one of the older guys. We meet at the end because they they had the, he had his name engraved on the key holder case. That's right. Yep. So Miles Archer, she quickly charms. Um, 
whatchamacallit. They've, uh, they've never seen dolls before. Yes, yeah, so it's their first dame. Um, and so Marlowe falls head over heels with her. You know, and he's like, yeah, we're private dicks. And they're like, and she's like, yeah, you definitely are dicks, all right. Or no, she's what, you're a porno stud? And he's like, ah, not really. <laughs> Get The main, um, I guess, gimmick of this movie is that it's it's two people whose sole references for, of human interaction and pop culture are like 1930s, you know, detective novels. But the other people they meet in this film are also like their sole references are from 80s New Wave or exactly. from, um, Rockabilly from Disco or, or from yes, Rockabilly. The, disco curse, the, the cursing disco kids. It's, it's In a way, it's like the Warriors in a... In, in a way, in a just way. the kind of different factions. Yeah, yeah just, just to differentiate everything. So Also, I, I compared it to Beyond Thunderdome or uh, to, to a Mad small Max. degree, yeah. Well, there's definitely the Mad Max influence there when the we got the motorcycle riding red-headed mutants. So, and, the, and the little kids, the yeah. little bastard kids. Mm-hmm. That curse a lot. They're like the feral children, but except but they, they wear they wear leisure suits. Yeah. Yeah. They wear, it's they, like hair. They dress mm-hmm. like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Do you want to do the honors on who those little kids were? Well, one of the two little kids was uh, the two the paper boy from Better Off Dead mm-hmm. with the switchblade comb. Two dollars. <laughs> That's not a reference I got, but I saw the clip. It's pretty good. Hey, two dollars. Hey. <laughs> Better Off Dead, directed by Savage Steve Holland, who also did... He was probably in Newsies as well. Like uh, I don't think so. He was also... Uh, but Savage Steve Holland also directed uh, One Crazy Summer, which... Oh. A really John Cusack and Demi Moore, I think, right? It's funny because John Cusack, um, after making Better Off Dead, agreed without like seeing the script, like, yeah, I'll do but One Crazy Summer. And then Better Off Dead came out, and John Cusack was like, like so he hated it so much that he basically just uh, slept walked through the entire production of One Crazy Summer and never talked to the director again. Fun fact. Yeah. I love Better Off Dead. It's so good. And One Crazy Summer 2 is pretty good. But you know what? When I hear stuff like that, I realize, you know, they were in a time and a place and maybe things weren't working out at the time. And yeah, maybe not. Whatever, right? Good old John Cusack. I don't know. In I don't retrospect, know. he's probably like, you know what? That was a lot of fun. He's and become quite the socialist and- in his... Uh- Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And John Cusack's very honest about the quality of his filmography. Oh, yeah. He's brutally honest. Like, he's like, I don't remember most of the movies I made. Like, they're all crap. Yeah. <laughs> 2012. That's called, I call that movie Paycheck. Um, oh, yeah, that was such shit. Holy. Oh, was that Stephen but King movie one. that he was in that I... Room something? Room 1408. Oh wait! Yeah. And I read the short story that's based on it. It's actually not bad. But the movie wasn't great. I don't. I didn't like it anyway at the time I saw it. I don't know. It was all right. I, I think I saw it a few times, actually. It has, like, four false endings, and that always just pisses me off as a viewer. Yeah, but um, there was one I caught called The Bag with him and Robert De Niro. I watched it with my brother. We were The just, Bag? The Bag. I don't remember this. It's it's pretty what? recent. Like, John Cusack's oh. done some shit movies, but, like... Yeah, Robert De Niro has, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. pot calling the kettle black. Anyway, they, they, they find they've got their moments, so it's kind of all good. Like, I checked out that movie with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. I was like, oh, my oh, God. The intern? Oh, God, intern. I remember that. Anne Hathaway is his boss. He's, oh, man, I can't. But it was funny. Like, it had its moments. 
Yeah. Ooh, was that like a Google movie as well, or was that the internship? That's the internship. Or maybe it's that's, so. Basically, Robert De Niro plays a character that has had to come out of retirement to go back to work, and he comes back and like he wears a suit every day, and everyone's like, "Why are you wearing a suit?" And then it turns out that him and Anne Hathaway wind up not having a romantic relationship, but they kind of come to an understanding like she needs demands more professionalism from her staff, but they're all modern day slackers. This sounds terrible. It the trailer didn't <laughs> look. Bad because I do. It's Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's right. I don't know. It's Phoning got something it to it. Like how he's done since '91. Uh, he's a working actor. I kind of like that about him. But yeah, he's been phoning it in um, since I probably Meet the Fockers. But let's talk about one film where the actors definitely didn't phone it in, which is Radioactive Dreams. No. So no, yeah. No. Every care. What I love about this film. What I love about all Albert. Everybody's Pune, there for it. Everybody's, everybody's there game, for it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I was actually speaking. So I was at uh, uh, Eyesore Cinema, which is a video store in Toronto. Here, yes, a video store still exists in 2018. Hey. Shut up about it. Shout out to Eyesore. Yes. Shout Cinema. out to Eyesore Cinema. Um, there's nothing worse than whenever I say like, yeah, I just rented this movie at the video store, and people go like, there are still video stores. I'm like, yes. I just said I rented a movie at one. Shut up. I saw this article about uh, this collection of blockbuster videos that still exist in Alaska mm-hmm. because that's the because the internet last, is slow. Because yeah. internet is slow and and also people, it's it's a social thing. Like, but I, it's also like a tourist trap because people yeah. are like they'll they'll come for miles around just to see a blockbuster still in operation. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, where were you when they were all over the place? Man? I know. I worked at one. A few. Yeah. I worked at a few. Anyways, so. So, um, Isor was, or uh, Daniel Hanna, the owner of Isor Cinema, was telling me that the one thing about Albert Pune movies is that he, that, because I was explaining to him in the, po- the podcast and how I said, some of us here aren't always into my stranger tastes in cinema. And he said, well, yeah, because Albert Pune, but, but you guys have been really into the Albert Pune stuff. And he said that the reason being is like, Albert Pune just loves making movies and it's that it shows that does and it show. shows yeah. and it's that enthusiasm and just his whole thing of like i want every movie to be so full of of what this movie needs to be i gotta say like each one i've seen so far i am sold in like the first few minutes just the way everything looks and the way everything is done and just he's just, he's got good filmmaker so instincts i find like even mm-hmm. like with his i, I guess his cin- he works with his cinematographer um, a lot of the shots look great. Oh yeah, this one was gorgeous. I mean, we unfortunately now again like the actors never seem to phone it in, as yeah. you say. So he's able to direct them well. Like they commit, like because the thing is, like the characters of Philip and Marlowe, like those two roles could have been like an actor, two actors at that time who th- thought they could have phoned it in or not done it well because they would have concerned because the. What John Stockwell and Michael Dudikoff both do, they make fools of themselves throughout this movie. Oh, yeah, they, they're and, bumbling idiots. And that's the great thing about it is that, like, they're so game for it, and they realize, because, like, another actor, you know, that you could have slotted into this might not have wanted to present themselves as being that foolish. Like, Van no, Damme would tough. never do that. No, exactly. But, like, these guys are like, this is what this movie is. We need to go for it. Like, even the uh, the the female actors in this, like, um, uh, Michelle Little, who plays Rusty Mars, who I forgot to mention in our opening, she's kind of like one of the femme fatales of this movie. Her soft voice. Yeah, so she kind of like, she has, you know, she's not just a a straight one-note character. Like, she kind of has, her character has like a peak in a valley and then another peak. And at the end of the movie, you don't really know where they, where where she she falls in terms of her moral standing. She does have that voice, though. Yeah. So anyways, this movie is great. Um, So where were we then? Oh, we didn't even get past, so Miles Archer... 
um, is being chased by two mutants. Uh, Philip and Marlowe scare them off, and then they give her a ride to the nearest phone booth. By the way, I love the fact that there are still phone booths in the apocalypse. This is one burnt-down phone booth yeah. in the middle of the desert. Um, I used a phone booth uh, earlier this week. It was the first they're time awesome, I- aren't they? Well, no. No? Although, I don't know. Maybe they are. I feel the like they're in my neighborhood with are, disease. Yeah, yeah they've got them because <laughs> nobody like, cleans them anymore. Like, it used to be like, Bell Telephone will clean that, you know. But what I noticed about this is it had, like, text messaging capabilities. Really? Yeah, it had, like, the whole, like, uh, like a BlackBerry keyboard mm-hmm. on the bottom part of the, uh, on, on the That's payphone. bonkers. So you can send a text from a payphone. Yeah. Yes, you can. I want to yeah, do that. You can text a landline. Um, We've seen. Have the you future. ever done? Te- have you, we have. Have you guys ever seen heard a, done a text to a landline? Yeah, that's always hilarious. I've been given the option because uh, I'll think I'll be messaging someone thinking it's their cell phone, and then it says, "This is a landline. Would you like to send the text?" Blah, blah, Some, blah, for an sometimes twenty five cents. Blah, 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 blah. Sometimes mm-hmm. at uh, at a business like I worked at uh, Blockbuster and other other things, uh, you'll get a phone and you'll get a call. You'll pick it up and it's just an operator saying. Uh, this is a text message. Would you like me to read it out for you? And you're like, yes, definitely. I want to hear what this is. And it's always like some guy being like, hey, f- man, what's going on? <laughs> you up? Oh, God, that would be so horrible. Anyways, um, back to Radioactive Dreams. So imagine texting that out. You've dropped your beer and you're just like, oh, man. I've dropped my beer. Anyway, Anyways, back yes. to Radioactive Dreams. So uh, Miles Archer hops into the car with them and she's riding with them. And she kind of notices that Marlo has a bit of a shine towards her. And so she's kind of like trying to figure out who these guys are. And then she realizes, oh, they're morons. Yep. And she pulls in um, uh, Marlo Not for a kiss. Morons. What does she call them? Something nerds? Slick nerds? No. Oh, Mondo she nerds. calls them Mondo, Mondo nerds. nerds. Yes, I wrote it down. They're Mondo nerds, which, which Marlo thinks that must be a compliment of some kind. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm a Mondo nerd. Because um, he's from the 30s, 40s universe. Yeah. He's not part of the... No. Yeah. It must be that cool term now. Well, if that's just yeah. Mondo, it's, it, this movie's definitely a product of its time. Yeah, I love it, though. Mondo. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, totally. Um, and so she leans him in the kiss, and as she's doing it, she kind of like creeps up his leg to his, his belt buckle, and he's getting super excited because not only is this the first woman he's ever seen, it's his first kiss and his first like, holy crap, she's going to touch my crotch, but she's really stealing his gun. Um, and as she's doing this, she drops a little leather holder that contains the keys that to these nuclear missiles that everyone is trying to get. So she then goes, makes the phone call, calls for like an extraction, and as they're waiting for her they are besieged by motorcycle riding red um red wigged mutant women who seek to destroy them so like they try and get her she's gone uh phil marlo uh, sorry phil and marlo there, mm-hmm. there's a scene like uh, after they first meet um uh miles archer there's a like they turn to each other and they've got this oh man they're a bunch of mutant rutabagas and a Dame with a mean left cross. That's true, because she punches Marlo. Yeah, she does. And he passes out, yeah. So that's how they talk. And they met her because she was being attacked by... The mutants. Yeah. Yeah, the mutants. So then we are involved in a chase where Marlo has to climb into the back, which is they're, they're towing a trailer with all their gasoline in it. And uh, one of the mutants threw like a, a fiery rag back there. And the so, red-headed biker chick mutant. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yes. keep them all clear. Yeah, they were both 
red-headed biker. They were all, it was like no, a no, whole the slew of them. the other mutants were just uh, Boyle having uh, yeah, chalk. The ones, right. the ones pursuing Miles but, in the but beginning. But there's the duo, the motorcycle riding. Yeah, yeah well, there's more than just red-headed. Yeah, there was a yeah. bunch of them though. Um, so a red-wigged rather. Yeah, yeah but they as, were, we, as, find as out. we find out. Right. So one red-wigged mutant uh, fights with Marlo in the back, where we learn that Mar- Marlo's got some pretty good dance moves to help him like avoid. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. leaping over things and doing mm-hmm. like some parkour type. We shit. should, we Daniel should, tells. we should point out that Michael Dudikoff, who played Marlo, was in line to play Spider-Man in Albert Pune's Spider-Man in the late eighties. Um, and then in the front, uh, pity that never got made. I'm kind of interested to see what it would turn out yeah. like. Yeah, that would have been interesting. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Um, so we then have... Mar- Marvel would be bankrupt if that <laughs> Well, no, but back then they just sold the rights. Like with the okay. Captain America movie that got made that Albert Pune directed, that's just because someone gave Marvel, here's a million dollars, let's make a Captain America movie. And they're like, sure. And that happened. Um, so then um, Phil is fighting off a mutant in the front, and she thrusts her cleavage onto the windscreen. And, like, licks his face. And licks his face, yeah. which kind of, like, throws him for a complete loop because he's like, wait, you're trying to kill me, but you're also very sexually aggressive. Yeah, these guys are suckers for any sort of... Um... Women. Yeah, for women well, in general. yeah, they've been underground for so long, and yep. all of a sudden all these, like, women, women, women everywhere. Live in the flesh, yeah. Licking their faces and... Blocking out the scenery with their boobies. All they've had is those how-to barber manuals that they've yeah. been reading, in. and their thirties, forty-fives that they've got, the classic forty-fives right. that they're listening to. Um, the one thing we should point out as well is that Marlo, or no, sorry, Phil constantly has a cigarette in his mouth, but it's never lit until the very end. And we can identify them because um, I think it's Philip well, or Marlo. That- Philip just, wears a fedora. Yeah, Phil wears a fedora. Marlo, and Marlo wears a, wears a, a page like boy a, cap, like a page boy cap. Like yeah, a newspaper cap. Boy yeah. Cap. I know them just because I know who John Stockwell and Michael Dudikoff are. Uh, all white people look the same, honestly. Yes. I yes. couldn't tell them apart without the hats. <laughs> Graham celebrates the entire American Ninja franchise. I've only seen American Ninja 1. I have not seen its sequels. I remember being in a video store. Actually, it was in a Riffs. If anyone remembers the department store Riffs in Newfoundland where they would rent videos. That's where I rented the Ewok adventure from. Um, oh, the one with the giant? The Battle for Endor, yes. Um, and they had American Ninja 4 and 5 there. And I was like, what is this movie? Why is there 4 and 5 of them? Um, I didn't realize that there was they were just direct-to-video sequels. So uh, Michael Dudikoff fights off the, the red-headed mutant girl on the front of the car. And then uh, Marlo has to, like, the fire gets out of control. So he drops the other mutant girl out of a, um, a whatchamacallit in the back? A drop... Um, why are you guys looking at me like that? So, like, the gr- you remember how she falls out? There's a trap door. Trap door. Trap door, yeah. Yes. Yes, the trap door. Is it a trap door? I thought she just kind of fell through yeah, like it was bad. Door. Okay. Yeah, it was a holy trap door. And then, yeah, the wig comes off the other one. Yeah, we see that they're bald and boiled. They, they, he pulls down her, like, he rips her jeans he goes, at one well, point, he, too. Yeah, he, he pulls. <laughs> He's not trying to, but that's what happens. Yeah, but and it's also. we should... in danger of falling out. And yeah. he pulls, and all of a sudden, the back of her pants fall down, and her bare buttocks is in his face. In his face. But the thing is, we don't see it, though. So that's the thing about Albert Pune, again, not that gratuitous. Yeah, it's just for, like, Except kicks. for Tom There's... Jane's ass. There's so many funny, funny, like, it's just a lot of slapstick in here. In Lots of it. Movie, yeah. So then 
they uh, Marlo makes the decision that we got to cut this trailer loose. He does, and then it explodes, and that causes the rest of the motorcycle riding mutant girls to uh, to take off. And then they continue along their way. And immediately they come across a van with these stupid freaking sweary disco children. (laughs) The sweary disco kids. (laughs) Um, And one of them is just like, my dad, we broke down, we ran out of gas. And so the guy's like, hey, Squirt, where's your dad? And then all of a sudden this girl like falls out of the back of this van that they've got. They've they've got, you know, the, the old school Dodge Ram van. And another uh, disco kid falls out, and they're swearing. They're like, "What the f and f you want to do, you f and f'er? I'm gonna f and shoot you in the f and face." Um, one of those is the paper boy for better off. Exactly. And so the, you know, the the two sweary disco kids po- point their guns at Philip and Marlo. However, Philip and Marlo realize, hey, these are kids, and they just literally grab the guns out of their they hand. Do, yeah. Send the two kids running away, crying Bye. as they should. And then they. This is our introduction to Rusty Mars. Rusty Mars. Mm-hmm. And then the. Uh, I think it's Phil. And the Phillip. introduction is that. Powerful. Well, yeah. She she kicks him in the crotch, and then he's like, because uh, her her legs are still bound up, and he's like, that's Marla. Yeah, that's Marla. Yeah, he, he's like, the I'm just trying to get you loose, baby. Which is you know yeah. poor phrasing. Well, what did he say? Like un. <laughs> Don't get your kisser all twisted. I'm just trying to get you loose. <laughs> oh, and then when he tells her, oh, I just remember when he told, um, yeah, I think it was uh, Mars that he told her. It could have been uh, Miles. Get, get on. He's he's pointing at the car. He's like, get on. I mean, get I, I in. think that I think that was Miles. I think yeah. that was earlier. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, watch your toes. But with uh, yeah. yeah, Rusty Mars, she she kicks him in the crotch a few. A yeah, few she times. kicks Marlo because Marlo's trying to like forcibly, forcibly like untie her, and she's like, I can do and this he's myself. He's not using good language. No, I'll get your kisser in a twist, and then just trying to get you loose. <laughs> um, Another jab in the balls. Um, but unfortunately, one of the disco kids fired off a shot, and all the gas has like leaked out of. Phil and Marlo's car, so they are, then have to continue on foot, on foot. And then they realize, then Rusty keeps telling them, like, look, we gotta get out of here before dark, because that's when things get really dangerous. And Phil that's makes... That's when the chuds come out. Like, literally, that's when the chuds <laughs> come out. Because that's when all the mutants come out. And, like, and Phil said, wait, you mean it's not dangerous during the daytime? Because, like, this is still, like, hour one of them being outside for the first time ever. And they've already encountered two different subsects of mutants Two different types of, of women that both are trying to like use them for their own gains. Well, both like attractive, very yeah. femme fatale. Yeah, uh, very and they even they even said that like so um, so uh, Rusty Mars even says that like oh yeah Miles Archer I know her she's one of those new wave punkers and we're not really entirely sure what Rusty Mars is we think she's a new waver but she's then she kind of she kind of seems to be in league with the hippies she's wearing a headband and then at the end she's she almost like becomes the, like a Bonnie Tyler on. yeah that's true then at the end she almost becomes a Bonnie Tyler esque character she does yeah by the way the soundtrack and she was uh, she was linked to the greaser brick uh, brick brick uh, Bardo so she's brick Bardo she's kind of been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Good old Brick Bardo, which is the name of the cop. I've there. been it's everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Good needle drop. Um, hopefully, Sorry. I can fit it in. No, no, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Um, and and so like so, they kind of reach the edge of Edge City. So they call whatever town they're outside of Edge City, which is of course a reference to Repo Man and the and the film that Alex Cox did before that called Edge City, and then it became referenced in what film were you saying? Phil? The Mask. The Mask is Jim Edge Curry. City. 
which is a kind of weird L.A. San Francisco hybrid. And the mask, well, not in well, this that's town. That's weird though, because that's not post-apocalyptic at all. That film. That's... No, neither is Repo Man. Yeah, it's true. Although in a weird way, it is. No, it's 1984. I know, but it it seems like futuristic. In God, a way. I love Repo Man. So there much. are floating cars and stuff. But that's at the end, and that's that's not by design. Okay. Anyways, but doesn't uh, it have like some? Isn't it like a radioactive thing or? Uh... Uh, well, there's it's never a, really explained. Some, some in the trunk of a car is has some sort of power to it. It's, it's a ne- MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, it's not really explained because when they were writing the script to Repo Man, uh, Alex Cox was like, I can't figure out if it should be a time machine, an alien, a UFO, or a nuclear bomb. And Mike Nesmith of the Monkeys, who was the producer, just said, just make it all of them. <laughs> it can be everything. Who cares? And we even have a like a giant rat in this, don't we? Oh, oh yeah, we do, the giant yeah. sewer rat. We'll po- having everything. But we'll get there soon. Yes, this movie does have everything. Um, so uh, we're brought into Edge City, and this is where our characters meet Brick... Brick, what is his name? Brick Bardo? Brick Bardo. Brick Bardo, a goddamn greaser. Which, uh, according to IMDb, this is the first instance of yes. Brick Bardo, as you explained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was used in seven, a total of seven of Albert Pune's films. Yes, most the notably name. Doll Man. Yeah. The name. the name was, again, used in wow. Doll Man and other... Other Albert Pune films. films. I, oh. Albert Pune has directed like a hundred films. Oh, I think like like twenty five. I think. Oh, it seems like more than that, but okay. Possibly, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I don't really keep count, but we'll we'll see. He's but the the one of the virtues of him and why he was getting hired by studios is mm-hmm. that he could make films quickly and on the cheap. And yeah, and they like and they all look really good. That's the that's the yeah. crazy thing too is like, like again like this film. I'm like I'm kind of flabbergasted about it. like it's got some great serious set design. It's got great atmosphere. It's shot really well. Like, we unfortunately couldn't see it because there has not been a proper North American DVD release of this film. So this is what we actually watched was a converted German release, unfortunately. Um, so it's not, so the image quality is not the best. Danke schön. Uh, yes, danke to our German, our Deutschland comrades, brothers in, comrades. brothers in film. East uh, German. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Kit's just. Kit's just. Kit has has walked away to do something, and all I can say is. um, That was a question. um, So, so we're introduced to Brick Bardo, who's a greaser who kind of trips them and kind of like teases them a little bit, but then Rusty like holds a knife to him, and he's like, "Hey, it's cool, it's cool, we're friends." And then uh, she leads them through to a. Like so, they pass through all these greasers, and they're like, "Oh, this is weird." And she's like, "Let me tell you to my kind of scene." And that's kind of like the new wave scene. So we're introduced to like all these like new wavers, and there's women dancing, and some woman throws her underwear on top of Marlo's head, and he's kind of like, "This is amazing! It's the best thing ever!" And he shows the underwear to Phil, and Phil's just kind of like, "Something seems wrong about all of this." Yeah, Phil's uh, Phil's just standing to the side waiting for Rusty to come back, and. Meanwhile, Marlo isn't really getting any luck until... Well, what happens is, so they get to this club. Shortly before Rusty comes back, isn't it? These two girls that didn't give him the time of day are all over him now. Yeah, so what happens is, so Marlo and Phil follow Rusty into this club where she's going to meet up with some people. And Phil, like, nonchalantly says, like, we found these keys that everyone kind of wants. So, like, so as Marlo, as women are passing by, Marlo's like, hey, you know, ma'am, how are you doing? And they all tell him to F off and give him the finger. And he's like, 
this must just be the nice way of saying hello. So he like. Did we mention though that Rusty saw that uh, they have the keys? No, we didn't. So, anyways, it's very key because that's what happens before they go to the club. It is very key. It is very key. Yes, I like what you did there, Lil. Um, so I didn't even mean to. That's just how kooky I am. <laughs> so. So anyway, so Rusty drops like her person. All these personal photos fall out of like the last fifteen years because everyone in this film is is like, I guess early to mid twenties, except for the except for George Kennedy and the other guy, and they've all had to grow up in this horrible hellscape of a world. So like we see all these photos of like Rusty Mars when she dog right, or is it man eat man? That's the line later on in the film. Um, where were we? Uh, yeah, so she so a bunch of her photos of like her as a child and with her family fall out and. You know, Phil kind of sees this and, like, it humanizes her to him. And he kind of, like, takes things. And she's like, oh, I bet you have tons of photos. Let me see your wallet. And he's like, nah, I really don't have anything. And, like, she reaches around, grabs his wallet, opens it up to see nothing except those two keys. keys. I got to say, when that scene was unfolding, I was like, oh, my God, lady. Lay off my wallet. Like, yours fell out by accident. Doesn't mean you get to go poking around my wallet. Lillian literally has her hands on her hips right here. But... Dun, dun, dun. Later in the club, it all just came together. She was sniffing around, and she figured it out. They got the keys. Yeah, well, she knew that Miles Archer was, like, in possession of those keys, and then after intera- interacting with him, that they must have had something to do with it. So back at the club, so Marlo is out on the dance floor giving all these women the finger, trying to get say, like, hello, by calling them mono nerds while giving them the middle finger. And then Rusty comes back down. Da- basically, this woman comes back down that gave him the finger the first time, and she, like, just starts kissing him. He's like, oh, I miss Edgy, blah, blah, blah. Like, come dance with me. And this other woman who, like, he also pissed off. And then Rusty's like, hey, Phil, why don't you come with me? Like, let's 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 blow this scene and come go to my place and make our own. And he's like, sure, okay. Now, this is a scene that I – it was interesting because normally in films of this time, you would see the guy being the sexual aggressor and the woman being kind of, like, a bit um, – the shrinking violet, I guess. But in this situation – are you shaking your head because of the situation? Or I be- am shaking my head because these guys are obviously the heroes, and usually it's the heroes getting seduced and all that crap. So I'm kind of shaking my head here. I'm more in reference to teen movies because you kind of you kind of would see the guy being more experienced than the girl, at least in no. no. And she's she's going after she's doing it for a purpose, right? She's going oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she's totally laying it on thick. It it just became night and day like once they got to the club. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so what I mean is that he's kind of all nervous and like af- afraid of like everything, and he kind of like points out like, oh, like the, how come no one here wears a dress? She's definitely somebody of danger to him, mm-hmm. and that's made very clear. But he doesn't know that because he's kind of like fallen under her spell, and she says maybe I'll wear that dress for you sometime. But she's she's very seductive. Well, like she's most got of the, the uh, film noirs, right? Like like you said, she's a femme fatale. She's the femme fatale, but yeah. she's got that little voice there that. Well, dude's kind of like the nerd in like the teen sex comedy. That's true. That's the thing. He he's he's the nerd, and so the she kind of she kind of yeah. gets him into his boxers and his undershirt. I, that's I, the thing. Um, there's a little bit of I don't know if I'm the only one having trouble with this. There's a little bit of uh, him realizing this stuff isn't very like we are we are made known that he's finally put everything together, but uh, we only know it because he says it. Right? There's no other realization until he's like handcuffed and betrayed like full frontally. Well, that's the thing. I actually think he doesn't know until he. So, like, she gets him down into this, this, um, 
well, this, until this the, bed type the thing. Until the hippie cannibals come and out. And then they kind of like locks. Chuckling. He, he I locks, think he knows them. <laughs> so she locks him up, and it's kind of like meant to be this kinky thing, but then all of a sudden these hippies come out wearing smiley face buttons, and it turns out that they are also needed the keys, and they are paying Rusty Mars to, to set him up. And they kind of point out that, hey, this is uncontaminated meat. And dun dun dun, they're cannibals and they're going to eat him. But my point is, which is coming up right now, <laughs> um, clearly Marlo knew what was up because what did he do? He tucked the keys away, very far away. He's in his underwear and, a, and an undershirt and he's handcuffed and these guys can't find the keys anywhere on him. Isn't um, it on. Um, no, he By the way, ha- it's Philip that's locked up here. Yes, it's Phil. Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah. but the thing is, I think I think Phil like just hid those keys anyways because like we but also then he did the the little magic trick later. Where did that come from? It was on him the whole time. Yes, because he he even said like all he did is practice his magic tricks because there was a book of magic in there, so he could make like balls. Just like when he was talking about like I'm going to tell you the, the yarn that me and my brother or that me and Marlo went through. It shows him like making like oh this ball is in this hand, and then I pass it to this hand, and then it disappears. So he kind of has that. Yeah, but I think what I'm trying to say is he already put two and two together. He knew that um, he wasn't as innocent as it, as it appeared, and I don't think that came across in, in the movie. Well, I think that's because he's not... No, I get what you're saying, but I think I think he hid the keys just out of normal, like, these things are valuable, they should be hidden. Not so much out of, I don't trust this girl, I'm going to hide them. I think it's... I think he's he's bright, but he's not not street smart yet okay so he didn't know that he was in danger from her he just knew that he had to put them away that's how i interpreted it but i could be wrong and you could be right no maybe for some reason these scenes uh recall to mind and i'm not sure if i'm misremembering things but uh was it the uh the jim carrey jeff goldblum earth girls are easy i i'd never seen that film all the way through no Remember it with Gina Davis? It was back when um, Gina Damon Davis. Damon Wayans is in there too. I remember it when G- Gina Davis. That was when Gina Davis and um, Jeff Goldblum were married. It was right after the Fly remake. Oh snap! I didn't know they got married out of that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Gina Davis is maybe like the only person who's like as tall as Jeff Goldblum too. Yeah, oh. she's a tall one. Um, she also almost became an Olympic archer back in the late '90s, early 2000s. I think she still does archery. Is like oh, yeah. after archery. I don't think she she's competitive anymore. But for all, she was a competitive archer. Which but is anyway, awesome. not, none of us have completely watched Earth Girls Are Easy, so my reference doesn't work. But. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so but to, it is kind of like d- d- fish out of water. Yeah. That sounds really familiar. I think by... I might have seen that actually. The title and everything. Yeah. I remember the video. It was too. on space a lot. It was on TBS a lot. It was probably on City TV quite a bunch. You know, one of Jim Carrey's first movies, if not his first. I think this is like James Carrey. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, James yeah. Carrey in it. Like, he was in Deadpool too, wasn't he? Yeah, as the Axl Rose composite. That's Sorry, right. we should yeah. clarify as as de- the Deadpool. Which is a dirty hairy not, film. Yeah, no, sorry, not, not, uh, not the Ry- uh, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds superhero comic movie. No, the Deadpool where he where he uh, mimed "Welcome to the Jungle." Yes, and dies of a heroin overdose. Yes, and Liam Neeson's the bad guy, and there's like a chase involving a toy car. And... So, Late eighties, dirty mm-hmm. Harry. Yeah. <laughs> the senior citizen years. Um, 
So then, how does Marlo escape from the, or how does Phil escape from the situation? Because he kind of says, he, he does the magic trick they threaten, that Lillian they, is talking they about. Threaten, but they threaten to eat Marlo, and that's kind of what gets him to say, like, okay, I'll, but, I'll give um, you this. It's, it's, um, it's Rusty Mars at this point who's starting to feel bad about what she's done, because I think... Mm-hmm. In her seduction, she's kind of fallen for Philip a little well, bit. Well, she sees that he's just an you know an innocent in this whole terrible world that they live in, and she's which like, plays oh, up later just on. Get it over with, guys! Come on, ah, oh, jeez. And then somehow he gets free. How is that? How does that happen? Does he like? Oh, slug? he uh, after doing a bit of magic magic tricks, he slugs one of them, slugs another one of them, yeah. and then runs and then away. Runs. And then he he finds uh, Marlo, who is being entertained by the the women in the club. And Marlo, Bardo is there. Yeah, wait, this wait, wait, is wait very... no, we haven't gotten there yet. So Marlo um, is also in his underwear and t-shirt, and so they run away wearing their hats because that's what they remember to grab. And um, Brick Bardo is there. I swear. Bardo, in the scene, no, but, yeah. that's, but here's he the does. thing: he's about to he's about to save them. Well, no, he does save them because they're about to get caught by the dirty hippies. And then Brick Bardo kind of like comes out and like saves them. And he's like, come on, guys, come this way. And they're like, who are you? He's like, don't you know me? And he takes up sunglasses. I'm your buddy. And Marlo's like, <laughs> yeah, exact words were because I'll never forget. I'm your friend, man. I'm your, your I'm your buddy. Man. I'm your buddy, man. And Marlo's don't call like, me buddy, guy. No, and, but, but Marlo is, <laughs> I know, South Park reference. But Marlo is just so thrilled. He's like, yeah, I got a buddy. I got a buddy. He's my buddy. He's my buddy. Let's go with my buddy. And like, he's just so thrilled to have a buddy. And like, Phil's just like, there is something seriously wrong going on here. And I don't know what it is. Um, it's a very drugged out part of the movie. It, yeah. it, it did yeah, feel like a, it was. Uh, it looked like, um, like just graffiti all over the walls, <laughs> like different lighting and like dark and lights and just darkness and I should say the sets for this film were great like they were they felt like a dirty dirty hellscape and this is like in the city where like there's no it doesn't feel like there's any natural light yeah. everything is good at wet the, uh, at the sets at I know, the, uh, the atmosphere location location Lo- scouting the locations the location as you were saying scouting. <laughs> wait until you guys see vicious lips that's the movie that he made in a weekend and it's great Pew? is that another one with Carrie Lowell I don't know off the top of my head, but it's it's about an intergalactic rock band. It's quite good. Nice. Um, so then they split off from what's his face. Oh no, Miles! Oh, it turns out that Miles Archer is paying Brick Bardo to free them, and then they split off from right. from so Brick. This is when uh, Miles this... jumps up in the air and he's like, "What? What?" Sorry, uh, Marlo jumps up in the air upon realizing that Miles hired and she's alive and she's yeah. around. And he still got a thing for her. I know. This has only been like... He's like, she loves me. This is literally... A- she paid someone to kill me. She loves me. <laughs> she, this has only been like two hours since he first saw her, so... Um, confirmed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great for Marlo. Yeah, both Philip and Marlo fall in love with a girl that... That leads him astray. Tries to kill them. But Rusty kind of repents a little Rusty bit. Rusty does redeem Miles, himself. not at all. Tis the no. times. Tis the times. As is, Rusty gives in a good monologue later on, like, you don't understand what it's like living out here on your own for the past 15 years while the killing and raping going on. You got to do what you got to do to survive. It's dog I, eat dog, and then... And then I don't says, have to apologize to you. Yeah. It's dog eat dog, and, Mar- and Phil goes, don't you mean man eat man? Ooh, Low blow, sick burn. low blow. I would say sick burn. Sure. Both. And there was another sick burn just before he walks away and lights a cigarette. What does he? What does she say to him? And what does he say to her at the end? He's like, I don't even remember you, Dame. It's like that was that was a million years ago, and I got a short memory. And I was like, no, that was twenty minutes ago. <laughs> twenty minutes. 
Um, and it would have scarred your memory. Yeah, <laughs> for life. <laughs> I was almost eaten by dirty hippies, yeah. Um, anyways, back to where we were in the plot. What happens next? Uh, the I think the rat monster makes his appearance. So, so they split off from... So yeah, they crawl down into the sewers, and the the little uh, the 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 sweary disco kids come back into the picture. Oh yeah, they, they... Oh, oh, she says, "They're gonna kill you," and he says as he lights a cigarette. He's got his back to her. It's all smoky. He's like, "I'd like to see them try." It it yeah, is perfect. I'd like to see them try. It's a perfect, it is perfect. moment. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. So that's at the end of the movie when Philip and Marlo have like totally like not gone at the end. That's at the try or something like that. It's yeah. towards the end, but it's, it's towards not, the end. Yeah. But after they've like kind of been rebooted into hard nosed detectives, like oh yeah, they went. They become day. jaded. Yeah, they're like, man, yeah. we're we're veterans Hard of this universe now. Talk and everything. You but cannot even try that with me Back now. where we are, yes, in terms of our plot summary, they're still we haven't running even around met in the their giant mutant rat. Yes, so I'm trying to remember, does the, do the Sweary Disco Kids, they capture Phil. They meet, well, they're meeting up with the lizard wizards. The lizard wizards. The lizard people. There are, yeah, that's right. That's You heard right, listeners. But guess what? They're not actually real lizard people because that's nonsense. They're not real lizard we're, we're, wizards? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Roseanne Barr. There are not real li- lizard people. flat earthers. <laughs> not real lizard people living on the earth. And the earth, earth is round two, jerks. Um, so it's spherical. Uh, I, I could see Roseanne Barr being a flat earther. I'm not surprised. I, well, I, I know. know. I, I don't think she I wouldn't is, be surprised. but I, that could happen. Yep. So anyways, we are... The, they, on, an, on your next episode of Roseanne. Yep. So the anyways, earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs> Counterpoint from Jackie. Um, so anyways, the, the characters wind up in the sewers, and they're surrounded by these weird guys who sound like... Kind of like, I said Soundwave from Transformers. They kind of had that voice to them. Yeah. They're like, give us the keys or else we will kill you. Those are the lizard wizards. No, that's not them. That's, that's, no? the, that's the lizard wizards, like like weird underground mutant crust yeah, punk henchmen. Yeah, they had a weird voice. Like, uh, <laughs> And even, uh, did you guys get a load of the voice on the radio when they were playing in the car? Look, we're out looking for miles. It was all like, we're out looking for miles. Like it was all. It's like, like welcome back on KBBL. We're uh, searching for Miles and her keys to the nuclear apocalypse. Yeah. If you played the uh, video game, uh, the Fallout series, the video game series, I was thinking that I haven't, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. Fallout Three, Fallout New Vegas, or whatever the hell. Um, I feel like those games draw heavily on probably this and other source material, but they've mm-hmm. definitely seen radioactive dreams. Yeah, it's definitely a, a point of reference. So uh, they're surrounded by the sound wave crust punk mutants. And they're about to get killed, but then, oh my god, a giant rat. Like, literally the size of... Because, like, Phil was like, is that a bear or a dog? And it's literally the size of, like, a beluga whale. No, of, like, a blue whale. Come, Not pops a up blue whale. Of, I'd say, like, a like a sperm whale. or It's yeah, like Moby it's, Dick, it's a giant, basically. It's a, yeah, it's a giant rat. Pops its head up out of the ground and eats them in front of them and then goes back down. And they're like, oh, I guess that happened. Well, that was the second appearance of the giant rat. Yeah, no, oh, right, because the rat pops up first, and they're like, what was that? And then it goes uh, down. Yeah, and they're like, back. oh, we better run away. Yeah, but then it comes to save them. Twice, the giant rat saves them. Well, it doesn't, it's not trying to save them. No, it just, it's just, it's like, they inadvertently save it's them. Like, it's like the T-Rex at the end of Jurassic Park. It's just there to mess up some velociraptors. The That's fact right. that it helps out the humans is a nice byproduct. So what happens next, guys? Um, well, this is where we get, uh, they, they find clothes. They, they find clothes in a garbage can or well, something. No, 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 no. This is on. when I think Miles catches them. No, Miles finds them, takes them to the, the punk 
party, remember? Yeah, the, the cyberpunk party. Because she's a punker, a new wave punker. And so... Is this one where you just find the two, like, the cyber... Book. Yeah, this is where... The, you said something quite poetic during the during the film. They they well, interrupt a romantic interlude in the twilight of the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, right, when they when they bump into those, like, two, uh, like, cyberpunks doing cyberpunk's it. cyberpunks doing it. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah, sorry. like, it anticipates the cyber goth movement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 before then they like they see like in this in this old building like the 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 manuals for the nuclear missiles and they realize oh my god they're gonna try and blow up the earth and you know Miles Archer just wants to do it she's like I can pick any state I want to make disappear that's a good power to have and so they steal a package containing clothes they steal they realize what's gonna happen and they decide like we gotta like go and deal with this shit and at this point we see that. Um, Rusty Mars has switched into the dress that that uh, Phil pointed out. Like, oh, there's a dress, and she said, maybe I'll wear it for you one day. She's had a change of She's heart. She's changed of heart. She's running in an Uzi in this Bonnie Tyler esque dress, and it looks awesome. Like, it's it's it looks like a Bonnie Tyler music video, but like really cool. Yeah, I don't I don't quite get where the break from the uh, hippie cannibals came because at first she was she, like she was leading but them, then she, like, but she to... kills off the leader because she well she realizes that hey, what I think happens, what I would theorize is that. She kills off the leader, but she's still with them. She's for a still bit. with them until she like turns on them too. I, what I feel is is that she is someone who has had to put up such a wall in front of herself, such a hardened exterior that she can't let anyone in. But here she is seen for the first time two people without that wall, and she realizes, wait, what is humanity? Is it just living to scrap scrape by another day, or is it actually trying to to find someone that you care about? and love and want to form a better life with and she realizes even though it's only been a couple hours that these guys don't have that wall and that in them she recovers a bit of her own lost humanity these these two bumbling morons <laughs> bumbling morons that she's chasing mm -hmm. <laughs> what's that old quote um the moron shall inherit the earth yeah the meek show in her? The meek, yes. There we go, the meek. I was going for that, but I, realized, I said more on it, and then I realized, well, that's a little too much like Donald Trump. These two, um, the, these two lackwits. These the lackwits. Two morans. The morans. Morans. Nice callback to a couple episodes. Like, what was that? But we didn't see her after that. Uh... Well, we, we will see her in, because we're still going through the plot. We haven't got quite to the scene where... Anyway, let's where they get have there their right tete-a-tete. Um, we're, not, we're not there yet. Hang on. We're oh, almost Jesus. there. Oh, no, but I, I don't think we saw her after that that slam. You're correct, but we're not at the slam part yet. We're just oh, about there. I jumped ahead to yeah. the slam. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so she's running to find them, and then she's besieged by the disco kids. And the disco kids are just going to kick. disco kids. And you know what? That's what I'm going to bleep, but I'm okay with it, because <laughs> they curse a lot, and they're little shits. And they like they got her pinned down with two guns, and they're just gonna waste her until Bing Bing! All of a sudden, their their guns are shot out of their hands. Right out of their hands. And out of a smoky darkness emerges our heroes, Phil and Marlo. Just um, clad in their yes. their new suits. New suits, really well pressed. They're not their like nice friggin' mm, pointed nice. Sh shoes. Oh yeah, their leather shoes, which just they look their Sunday best. They do. They're ready for they church. Were, they, they, like, have gone through their hero's journey, and they have emerged a new shade of pale. Um. <laughs> oh, this fart machine is giving us a too much, too much joy. Too much? <laughs> too much. Too much joy. 
That should not make me laugh as much as it is. I know, it's crazy how much how hilarious it is. Okay, let's let's keep let's keep the faith. Let's keep going. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. Keep keep it in. Keep it in, yeah. Try to uh Um this is where where we have where Phil and Rusty have their epic stare down in the darkness and Lil went through it so so beautifully earlier where they kinda like you know, Rusty said not Rusty, but oh, Phil she, sort of, she wants it bad though. She wants She's, it bad yeah. yeah, she she sort of says, like, I understand now everything. You know, I've got a new perspective on things and He's like, beat it, dame. And Phil has like built up such a wall, he's like when I met you, I was just a kid. Now I'm a jaded something or other. And it's just like, that was two hours ago. 20 yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> I think we were all rooting for him to be like, all right, but he didn't let up. I'm pretty sure yeah. this movie takes place in real time. It yeah. uh, seems like it, yeah, like about 85 minutes. Um, it does. We were all, like, I was rooting. I'm like, I'm like, because I was strange in my head, like, in my head, like, wait, does he? Rusty, right? Yeah, we're like, wait, does he say, yeah, come on? Or, like, does he not? And he doesn't. He doesn't. And as he as he walks away, she says, "They're like Lil said, they're gonna kill you." And he says, "Let him try." As Which he is a pretty his, badass thing to say. Is, I wouldn't is. be able to think of that. If no, somebody said I, that to me, I'd be like, "Um, well, no, they won't." He rendered her speechless, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And that it, was the last we saw of Rusty. Yes, but it, she Rusty. got she got mentioned at the end, though. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. I know. Sometimes budgetary constraints. She should have. She should have. That was badass. Yeah. Although I, I think she should have showed up in that last dance sequence. I think we all fell in love with Rusty in spite of ourselves. We did. That would have been, nice. been nice if she was back and he was like, "All right, get over here, you, you, you damn dame." Yeah, crazy dame. I love you. Here we are. I love you. Yeah, dizzy dame. Let's find ourselves a priest, and all the characters are like, "What's a priest?" Because we live in this horrible post-apocalyptic hellscape. Anyways. Um, so they, they go to their final confrontation with like, everyone, basically. Well, they figure they're going to, they're going to walk around, they're going to leave That's true, they're miles, miles into Archer, a trip, because they walk, a they walk through the Nuclear Bar. Nuclear. N-E-W-C-L-E-A-R bar, get it? Um, and everyone kind of like it's sees a very it. neon bar. It's it got that nice uh, neon uh, I, I, sign. I, I think it's even new clear wave bar. Yes, it's I'm the nuclear wave yeah, bar. What yeah. am I talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a nuclear wave bar. So they walk through it. Everyone puts their eyes on them, and Miles starts following them. And she's wearing like a a very oh big, oh we Rhythm Nation is what we were uh, Rhythm Nation M Bison, but half a decade before. It also lights up and sparkles. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a sweet jacket, I won't lie. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Mm, maybe, maybe. Well, here's the thing. I feel that this film... This Janet film, Jackson, I'd say. Rhythm Nation Janet Jackson is correct. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing, though, about this film is that there, there's really not a lot of... You can't really trace its influences beyond, like, oh, no, I film just, noir. Just the way that, like, the shape of her coat and everything. Oh, yeah. No, no, that, that's oh, fine. But oh, we, gosh. We, we did what did we forget. Miss? What we, did we miss? We forgot to mention Guilty Pleasures. Oh, that song. Right. So when Miles leads them in, it's this, it, to, the, to the punk scene. It goes on for, like, ten minutes. It's a long, it was clearly, like, okay, the song's not long enough. We need to cover more ground. So like Guilty Pleasures. Such a good song, too. Um... It's great because at first, because at first, like the singer totally of the song, because like the band is playing on top of like some some scaffolding, and then 
the Steven band that's doing the whole soundtrack for the movie, right? The yeah. band breaks the fourth wall at one yeah, point. Yeah, the singer looks like, directly, yeah. <laughs> sings directly at the camera and then turns and looks back at our main characters as they're walking through the scene. And this, it's, it's like the equivalent of like uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Body Double, basically. This was, was reminding me. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the Ghostbusters soundtrack, oh. where it's like, yeah, this this song is like this cleaning is, up the town. This is uh, cl- the, yeah. saving the day. Saving the day. Saving the day. <laughs> See, um, yeah. Magic, magic, of course. I know. I miss. I miss the fact that so- like movies used to have songs that kind of like told you the plot as it was happening. And this film definitely has those songs, which is great. Yeah, it's so. I miss. I God, I miss the past so much. I do. I wish I could have seen this film. In like a at like the Bloor Cinema in 1986, on like a when rainy a rainy a rainy Wednesday afternoon, it would have been great. Back when we still had the Bloor Cinema. So R.I.P. Original Bloor Cinema. Yeah, I just say R.I.P. Bloor Cinema. Yeah. Because whatever's standing there now, it ain't no Bloor. No. It's the Rogers Hot Doc Cinema. The Rogers Hot Doc Screening Facility. The Ted Rogers Rogers Hot Hot Doc Screening Facility. We the all Rogers were, Dynasty. We were asleep at the wheel, <laughs> and it happened. Um, anyways, but we still have the Royal Cinema. Um, and the TIFF Lightbox. But the TIFF Bell Lightbox, I know, but it's still better than We've got the, 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 review, the Review. We've got the Fox, the oldest theater in Toronto. Uh, the Mount and, Pleasant, the Regent. And the Circle Theater. Shout out to Alistair. Yeah. And if you're feeling brave, the Kingsway Theater. Um, and the Humber. The Humber's still around. Yeah. I gotta get out to the Humber before it shuts down. Oh, they, they, are, are they closing it again? I think so. I gotta go there soon, though. Because they really bastardized that they turn into, like, four screens. I noticed that there's still a video store next to the Humber. Yeah. Yes! Two-for-one video? Yeah. Not the pizza chain. Yeah, no, it's called two-for-one video. It's been there forever. Yeah, I love it so much. I'm going to take a swing by there sometime in the future. Um, so anyways, to wrap this up, um, we think uh, Philip and Marlowe led Miles into a trap, but really so it's the other way the around. Epic guilty pleasures yes. um, thing. That, yeah. Um, actually, that was way before. You're right, but yeah. we forgot to mention it. So, but it turns out that Miles has... <laughs> but it turns out that Miles has lured them into a trap when all of her cyberpunks come out, and then... Yeah, they were in over their heads. And then the lizard people show up, and then the... Well, first of all, the, the disco... You clouded by your guilty pleasures. hey I know, I kind of feel like we need, like, an audience to, like, laugh at our jokes. You could, you could pipe in, like, a laugh track. No, we don't do that. We don't lie to our fans, all five of you, and that one in Indonesia. I, I see, I, I see that. I, I see that laughter can right there. Yeah, can't no, laugh at him. No, there. no. Oh, what? No, we're not doing that. We've done enough fart machine jokes. Oh, <laughs> that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> good, good now. That was like a. <laughs> the laughter cans on loan from the Still Big Bang Theory. The best. Farts <laughs> just say it all, <laughs> like. You should just get that Ricky Gervais laughter. Just, just have Ricky Gervais yeah, yeah, yeah. laughing at our podcast. Yes. So, anyways, um, the the two disco kids show up, and but then they get eaten by that giant rat. So the giant yeah, immediately, rat, and we're, the giant rat we were pulls all happy a T-Rex. Yeah, the giant rat pulls a T Rex. And Kit like stood up and like applauded. I did. I physically did that. But they were oh, all like, no, no, jo- sorry. Um, uh, seconds before that happened, you're like, oh, those kids. Damn. I know. Those, like I hate those, those stupid kids. kids. The and rat appears, the rat and then the kids are like. 
fucking rat. Just we're gonna take some lead here, and then they just both get eaten. Yeah, so we and then they bleed them again. Them, yeah, it was so good. Um, and then the two lizard men are, appear, and it turns out that the lizard men—it's actually masks. The lizard wizards. The lizard wizards, and they're actually their fathers, aka those creeps that kidnapped them all that year, all that time ago. So Marlo is instantly kind of like, "Pop, pop, you came back." Whereas like Phil is like, "Oh, these guys still might just be creeps that kidnapped us." And this allows Miles to get the drop on Marlowe, and she points a gun at his head, and then everybody's involved. It's like everyone, a there's gun a big fight. shootout, and like even... and like Phil throws like um one of the lizard the dad says like Phil throw me the keys. She won't do it because they know because she knows we'll kill her, and so he does, and then a big shootout erupts. The dads bite it. All the cyberpunks bite it. Miles is mostly okay. There's a huge shootout. Like Miles, the, like hides under some drywall or yeah. some shit. I don't know what happens to her. Phil and Marlo survive by using a zip wire or a zip line to like zip line to safety, which is I know, awesome. which is awesome. I know, like you that's such a movie trope that yeah, never like, happens in real life. Thank God, in this factory, <laughs> there's a zip line that goes from <laughs> one level to another. Out of danger. Exactly. They like ride it out of danger, and then they come across Miles, and. They, so as Miles is leaving with the keys, they're both like, "We're gonna shoot go, you!" Don't go. And and Marlo is like, "But they're not gonna do it. They're, they're not gonna shoot her. They're not gonna shoot her. And they're still in love with her." Well, Marlo they is don't Phil. Got Phil got the nerve as she like slowly. Walks they don't out. have the nerve. But Phil, then, Phil, I think Phil might have if he had a gun. But Marlo is like, "No, she's my dame." And the, but then she goes to shoot them, and he fires on instinct. And kills her in a tragedy, and he's broken up about it. Uh, but she's about to shoot them because she's well, about thing, to make though. it, cle- yeah. like make it scot free. She should have just kept on walking. She would have yeah. been fine. Yeah. Then they re- re- then Marlo responded with fire, killed her, and he's broken up about it. And feels like, hey man, come on, we gotta, we just gotta keep going. This is the hard life of the private dick that we lead. You know, it's only been ninety minutes since we first encountered this, and so they go out. They go out into, like, the outside where, like, there's all these mutants around and everyone's kind of, like... The redhead mutants. That's, like, a callback to all the Yeah, all, all the different met. all the different people. And they're all kind of like, well, what do we do now? Because, uh, because you know... We, we don't know what we're doing. We, we killed off the entire ruling class of this, this, you know, horrible hellscape of society. And Phil says, you know, Marlo, I think it's time you showed me those dance moves you've been working on. And Marlo goes, you mean the post-nuke shuffle? It feels like, yeah, the post-nuke shuffle. And they engage in a 1930s big band song, like, dance number. Everybody loves it. And everybody, all these mutants, all these punkers. whole spotlight on them, right? Yeah. And they just basically what Blast from the Past ripped off with Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Because, like, that's like a fish-out-of-water movie where, like, he's grown up underground Mm because it's a Cuban Missile Crisis. Which, of course, doesn't happen. Then when he emerges as an adult. Yeah. One of his main skills is swing dancing. And that we came out in the middle of the swing revival Oh, my God. Yes, that horrible, horrible, horrible late 90s swing revival The Brian Setzer Orchestra. Yeah. Cherry Poppin' Daddies. This is, like, a nice way for (laughs) Philip. The more serious one to cheer up his brother, the more like like he wants to see everything all good and happy, and that's his way of telling his brother, "Come on, man, let's keep rocking." And Philip narrates we the, the ending here, yeah. and he's like, "I don't know what we're gonna do tomorrow. That was our first day. <laughs> it was our first day in in the nuclear and apocalypse. He's like, I'm gonna look for Rusty." Yeah, he's, he's still in love. Yes, and he says that. Don't worry about the keys. We hid them somewhere where nobody will ever find them. Why didn't we destroy them? Because you never know. 
you never know. It seems like a nuclear missile might come in handy if you're stuck in a jam. We might need to destroy the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is how it ends. That was Radioactive Dreams. Sorry, I'm just looking at what that, that final song was called. I think it's like Zim Zim Wowie or something. Um, oh, Zim Bim Zowie by Daryl Finesse. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. So, the... Yeah, and so Sue Sad, S-A-A-D, was the primarily song. She sang Guilty Pleasures. She sang Radioactive Dreams. Um... There's also a bunch of other bands on the soundtrack. Sherry Delight, the Monte Carlos, uh, Sherry Sabah, uh, Mary Ellen Quinn, and who's the last one? All Jill Jacks. Yeah, all heavy. But you know what? They should be heavy hitters because this soundtrack was actually really, it was really a good. good. It was a good yeah. soundtrack. So, guys, um, it's getting late. Uh, this is our, our sign-off for our Albert Pune series. For now, we're going to be coming back to Mr. Pune again in the future. Oh, we love you, Albert. We do. We, uh, yes, we do. Stay strong. We do. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. We we I really appreciate it. From the bottom of my heart, especially. Made our day. Yeah, I've been watching his film since I was 12 years old. When I saw the first the his Captain America, so it yeah it made my day, it made our week, it made our year. Um, thank you for listening uh, to everyone, but thank you especially to Albert Pune. So, Phil, what are your final thoughts on Radioactive Dreams? I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it, it has like this uh, kind of it has this, like this wild like dream like tone to the movie. Mm-hmm. Which I was into, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the echoey and oh yeah. And, and the all these lighting. like nightmarish elements, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Kit, do you have final thoughts? Yeah, all hits, no misses on our Albert Pune retrospective. Um, it's true. Another, it's true. another good one. I think we're all in agreement that. I mean, they're just fun films to watch. They're not. You can't think about them too seriously. You might be like, "Oh, there's plot holes here. There's plot holes there. This doesn't make much sense." But if you do that, then I mean, what are you even watching movies for? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Lena, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Yeah, same. Uh, it's nice to see another great uh, flick by Mr. Pune. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's good. We'll probably do another retrospective. Yeah, he's got a lot of films. We can dig into them quite a bit. So, that's for sure. We will definitely be digging into more of his films in the future. We're going to take a slight break from Albert Pune Films. Uh, my final thoughts on this film are I just love the heck out of it. It is a great film. It is so fun. It is a shame and a crime that it is not available in any format, in any way in North America. Like, it's not streaming. Were you going to say something, Phil? Oh, no. It's just, yeah, it's like, it should be a cult movie. Yeah, and that, and that's the problem is that, like, it had such a minor release, both theatrically, it, like, extremely limited, and, like, Vestron Video put it out once in the 80s and that was it there was no never a reissue so when Vestron went out of business in the late 80s it, it just disappeared so if you had a VHS copy kicking around that's the only way you could watch it yeah yeah exactly unless you lived in Germany and could get the, the special two disc collection which came with a third disc containing the entire soundtrack for the film oh no way so I'm gonna position Shout Factory and uh, maybe Germany knows what's up. Maybe Aero yeah. Video, and I'll see if they can maybe hopefully put out a release. Um, Germany knows a guilty pleasure when they see one. Where's the fart machine? <laughs> no, we are... I totally let Adam Moby Dick on that one. I totally let Adam Moby Dick of a fart there. No, we're not. We're not. We're not using the fart machine. Um, so with all that, I had to restrain myself. So with all that being said, oh wait, 
What's that in the distance? It's the dreaded Vija board. The Vija board? Back from the grave? Oh no, the Vija board. I thought you banished that in the epic duel with the wizard last week. I know, but it's back again. And it is spelling out... T... H... E the, the something the I O L the ghost of Pamela Voorhees the violent yeah years the violent years the 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 Ed Wood film from 1960 <gasps> the violent years wow. a girl gang film Ooh. that's different nice. Sold is this like, is this VG boards suggest anything of a girl gang month, a wet and Ed Wood month? Uh... No, it just said Violent Year, so we'll okay. have to see what happens next right. week uh, on Death by Video when we watch Ed Wood's The Violent Years. We haven't we haven't dipped into Ed Wood yet. We here haven't. On the this is also our old the the film that is the furthest from the current time, all the way back to 1960. What's the previous earliest one we did? Was that um, maybe Rapid or? Mm, I would say Unholy Rollers probably. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I think that was like the earliest. Yeah, that had uh, with with uh, what mm-hmm. was it? Um, second camera assistant Martin Cors- Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah. Maybe even the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac oh, Killer. Oh, that's yeah, right. That yeah, Zodiac Killer seventy one. Definitely not another Son of Sam. I love that film though. Windows. Um, all right. So that has been our Albert Pune series. Thank you so much for listening for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I've been Lil. And I've been Graham. Saying please be sure to rewind, and we will see you next time. What? Click? Oh, the fart machine. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Bye-bye.